people of the world, welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language. This, the 241st episode. We've got a special one for you today. Ladies and gentlemen, I have had a series of conversations with one of the most incredible people I've had the pleasure of spending time with over the last few months. You see, Richard Linton, once in Bosnia, I want to say, on a UN convoy, um, saw a man whose throat was slit. He walked into a room with a woman whose husband was shot. He filmed some of this and it's now in a museum somewhere. He has globally affected consciousness. Once in junior high, I wanna say, there was this bully named Steve that was messing with him and he, and he with his friends, coordinated an attack specifically in art class so that he could punch this kid and what ended up happening was uh, his friends broke him up. So he's been a strategist his entire life. Do you know Mr. Big from Sex in the City? There's a scene with Richard who happens to also be an actor uh, in which he is on a park bench and it's snowing and he and Mr. Big have two, three minutes of a dialogue. Absolutely incredible. Oh, by the way, he was a tank commander in the same regiment as Prince Harry. Absolutely incredible life story. Oh, and by the way, just yesterday, he put in the final uh, draft of his second book, Hyde Park Deception. We've got uh, discounted pre-order price. We'll talk about that later in the show. This is uh, his second book, his first, of course, North Korea Deception. It is a pleasure and an honor to welcome to the show the one the only Richard Linton. That's really sweet of you. Hi, Kellen. Great to be back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I do appreciate it because, um, you know, as, as, a, as a writer and, and an entrepreneur, like many, many folks watching, um, you know, it's all about putting yourself out there. Um, I hope you didn't see me. I was just texting my son because he's upstairs. He's he's graduated and he's he's clattering pots. So I hope you don't hear that. <laughs> oh, but there's no drama there. So uh, let's start okay. right on. I want to talk about the UN envoy because that's been on my mind recently. You, so the UN. So it was it was the UN peacekeeping duties basically. Okay. So you had mentioned, yeah, you had mentioned to me the other day that you were able to go and cross enemy lines mm -hmm. um, as part of what I assume is a journalistic endeavor. Can you dive into that for me? Sure. So, you know, coincidentally, but as you would say, probably not coincidentally, just this last week, after 20 years, there was a workshop at the Imperial War Museum on Zoom, Imperial War Museum in London. And the discussion, and I was invited as one of the panelists because I used to be not only a, a United Nations military observer, but after I finished that, I was a UN TV producer in Bosnia during the conflict. So we were discussing this, this workshop was to discuss what you do with hundreds of hours of sort of raw footage and short films. Um, we did things like video diaries of two people, two girlfriends across the confrontation line between, say, a Bosnian Croat and a Bosnian Serb. Um, anyway, so we were discussing this, which is funny that, you you know, we, we sort of touched on it this week. But um, basically, yeah, I was I was a as opposed to a Guardian journalist or a New York Times journalist or a BBC reporter. I worked for UNTV. I was a producer. And um, so what we would do is we would we would have our UN vehicle, our white UN vehicle with big black letters on the side. 
and um, we would go around doing these stories and, and we would just be able to go hop across confrontation lines. So, for example, in Sarajevo, which was an, an, basically a, a Bosnian Muslim enclave, um, there were 1,500 shells a day landing in there when I first arrived there. But surrounding it was the Serbs, the Bosnian Serbs. And, you know, so I gradually understood, you know, how important those confrontation lines were. And for example, I always remember, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I'm not trying to badmouth her or anything, but I always remember Christian Amanpour from CNN. She was doing a live piece of camera and she was standing on Bosnian Muslim territory, but she was badmouthing the Bosnian Serbs. And she was sort of implying that she was, had been talking to them. And I knew that the only way she could cross that river and be really talking to Bosnian Serbs was if she flew back to Zagreb, then got a plane to Budapest, then got another plane to Belgrade, and then did a, an eight-hour journey back onto the other side of that confrontation line. Hmm. So, so that I started to have a really interesting sense of, uh, and, and sort of, it was a good feeling. If I'm honest, it was a powerful feeling as a soldier, as a United Nations military observer of being able to go back and cross back and forth across these confrontation lines. Um, now, did you want me to just expound on the, on that, that one massacre experience? Well, I, I guess, I guess my, my, my head goes towards um, something you said backstage, which was you felt an enormous sense of, I'm not sure what the word would be to describe it, to be able to cross those lines. And yeah. I think there's something deeper to that, yeah. that, that I would like to um, expound upon, which is in a war zone mm -hmm. to be able to go from side A to side B to side C, that's a rare opportunity. And all of these other folks weren't able to do that. Right. What do you think we could do as a species? Like, what did you learn as a human being in that experience did you did was it easy. obvious to you that very these easy. two sides you know what i mean like we can't we just make peace like why like very 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 easy answer I'll, I'll tell you right i'll tell you a couple of things just suddenly spring to mind as you ask that so so inside sarajevo was was bosnian muslims and and um and and i remember going to an apartment of this old lady and it was a friend of the interpreter in London who had taught me Bosnian. So I went to, I promised that I would take her some stuff. And um, she, she literally had nothing in the fridge. So there were like a few mint leaves. I think she tried to make me some tea. And I, it always blew me away wherever you went on, whichever side, Serb, Muslim, Croat, you know, they would give you their last, literally their last cube of sugar if you were the guest, which blew me away. But this, I just always remember going to this lady and she she said, you know, what's it all for? She said, there are friends, there are friends. And she was literally pointing across the river to the Bosnian Serbs. And, you know, you ask, so you ask, what did I learn? I learned, you know, that we're all just the same. And it's the, you know, the BS is up top, the politicians, the ego maniac, maniac, mainly males, I have to say. I mean, that's another fascinating thing I've learned over this. It seems to be the guys who cause all the problems with the, with the egos, et cetera. So unfortunately, we have uh, lost Richard temporarily. He's going to pop back on. But I do want to mention um, as he gets here. Um, no, you're good, Richard. You just you just came yeah. off for a little bit. I did want to make a point, um, which is my daughter, Annika, who words cannot express how much I love this kid. My my kids are my best friends. How old is she? She's seven. 
Okay, great. And uh, we, I, I think of a world in which she is able to take whatever leadership position she wants to. There's no reason why she shouldn't be able to do that. Um, and as a man, I feel like my voice in saying that is an important one um, because, you know, there are few women world leaders. I mean, it's, what is it? 1%, 2%, maybe it's, right. it's changing and rather dramatically and, and quickly. Um, but to your point, um, I see that sort of uh, ego on the basketball court because <laughs> I played basketball a lot. And I'm subject to it too. Like I'll, I'll be like guarding someone and, and they'll elbow me in the nose, you know, and I'm, my chi rises and I get upset just like the next guy. Um, so let's get back to you. Um, and uh, yeah, where did I get cut off? So you were just mentioning how it tends to be men, yeah. um, you know, so that, that cause these issues. Yeah. And what I, and you know, just to go back to what I learned, I would say is, you know, you, you know, there's literally people. Um, so then I would go across the confrontation line as, as the United Nations military observer. And I would go to someone else's house. And, um, you know, I remember, I remember going to um, the trenches as well. I, the, the, the road I took, and by the way, is some of these scenes are in my, literally in my novel. I, 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 you know, I vividly remember them all these years later and I couldn't help, but, um, use these scenes. So, for example, you go out of the Bos Bosnian Muslim sector in Sarajevo, past a gazillion bombed-out houses. You go across the airport because that was kind of the confrontation line. You go up in the hills, and suddenly you start to see the 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 Sarajevo Winter Olympics bobsleigh run, which is covered in bullets because soldiers who have been driving past are just spraying it with bullets. And you literally see like the bobsleigh run coming down off a mountain and across the road that you're you're you know running past. And and just that image alone just just always blew me away because because you have to understand that that Sarajevo Winter Olympics 1984 was utopia. It was Bosnian Muslims, it was Serbs, Croats, Muslims all together, one big happy family. It was it was a fantastic Olympic Games. So to see that bobsleigh run in in shatters in 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 in, in sheds shreds, sorry, was was just you know it was heartbreaking. And then. Just going back to the point about back and forth. So, so then I'm I'm at this trench, and it's literally like a, a World War One style trench. It's 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 got like a log cabin. The trench runs through the log cabin. There there are pots and pans inside for the soldiers who are who are you know on guard. And and I'm thinking, oh my god, this is this is crazy. You know, I wonder I wonder where the Serbs are. So I wonder where the Muslims are because this was a Serb site. And and so there was one guy there. I remember one time I went and there was one guy there and he had his 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 ammo strapped across his chest and he had his you know AK-47. I'm thinking, well, where is everyone else? I said, where where are they all? He said, oh, they went for, they went home for a rest. <laughs> so so the idea that you know these soldiers, it was so sort of it was so kind of not low key is the wrong word, but it was so it was so provincial the way they fought this war. So then he said, "Hey, Richard, you want to see? You want to see the Muslims?" He said, "He said we we talk to them." I said, "Well, how far are they?" And he said, "They're just fifty meters over there. Come, come have a look." So he literally points to a trench about fifty meters away, and and he says, "Yeah, we chat. You know, my cousin's down there. You know, it was just it was just crazy." And so so <clears throat> so then again, getting back to the original question, you know, you just it was just so heartbreaking because. The way the war began over there, and by the way, I can't remember the name of it now, but I just watched this amazing documentary on Netflix about how the First World War began. And basically, 
the Germans, was, I don't know whether this was a conspiracy movie or it really happened like this or, 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 or not, but basically in the middle of Sarajevo, um, a Bosnian Serb from Parle, which is where I lived, tried to shoot the, he, he did shoot the uh, Archduke Ferdinand uh, of Austria. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And literally you can stand on the corner where this happened. And that's sort of, in a, in a nutshell, how the First World War began. And then when you watch this, uh, this movie that I just saw, it basically said it was implying that the Germans or the Austrians or the Austro-Hungarian Empire conspired to shoot Archduke Ferdinand because he wasn't in favor of some big railroad venture, big business venture. I mean, I, I haven't had time to look into the real, real facts. But again, it's coming back to that idea of just big business, big interests, you know, crazy people at the top, just just all about conspiring, you know, conspiring against the little man. And then the little man, you know, ends up. Yeah, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Um, <laughs> chess has changed my life. Um, I, I have. I dove headfirst and I, I watched chess videos. I follow Magnus Carlsen, who's the world chess champion. Um, I went from like 40th percentile to 90th percentile of chess.com players. Wow. Um, and chess teaches you that, you know, you can sacrifice any piece you want to win. Right. You know, you can throw the knight over there, just sack the knight and opens up this new thing. And as long as the pieces just do what you want them to, right? Because mm -hmm. you have complete control over them. You can play whatever style you want. But at the end of the chess match, typically, not always, but typically there's just one king. Like people forget that when you checkmate with the queen, yeah, it's checkmate. But the idea is that the enemy king kills the queen and then you kill the king. And it's literally just the king standing and, and littered with dead bodies everywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, and so the ideal game of chess is two people push their pawns forward, create kind of a yin yang, and then just move their pieces and never capture. Right. But no one ever plays that because it's boring. Yeah, right. It's, it's boring. too boring. No conflict. No right. conflict. Yeah. So it's not interesting. Um, and so I think that's just a fundamental human core emotion, feeling, psychology, sociology. And we talked about this last time, but maybe just maybe we're going to be able to get into virtual environments entirely pretty much mm -hmm. um and we'll fight all our wars online we'll kill each other online you know and uh just take all of that evil that is inside the human heart and all that homicide and and just push it into this place where it doesn't affect the physical body right all right well that would be nice, <laughs> wouldn't it? First, well, and I think what, what you're doing is, is an example of, of like an old school methodology, which is to write a book about it. I have people die in the book. Right. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Maybe. I mean, I, 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 I you know, I, I remember when I first decided to write the set, this second book, which is basically the idea behind it is to just expose how crazy, you know, you had you had but the bosnia war was how 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 chaotic and crazy and you got you know big brother coming in and the americans coming and the un coming in and the and the european union coming in and they're all sort of meddling in these this war that which they don't really know that much about um you know and i remember i i, I tried to get an agent a few years ago um when i started to write it and they said oh no one's interested in bosnia and that's mm. kind of true in a way but you know what that's and that and then 
this this workshop we did the other day with these imperial war museum folks and like scholars and academics i mean they're so long-winded you know like i i just found myself saying guys i think we should just just put some stuff online just get it going you know because they wanted to discuss and back and forth and is it is it the right time is this it was 25 years ago for crying out loud so anyway so i guess i guess what i'm saying is you know i think that's fiction has a place there because you bring real events you know to life and you and you 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 use mix and match the truth and 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 real life sort of history um and in fact that's what i'm really enjoying on looking at the third book i, I i've only just really discovered how germanic the british royal family is I, I mean i hadn't really realized that they all came from germany originally you know just before the first world war and then the whole nazi thing that that was sort of you know, the British, British Prince Philip was said to have got, you know, had had, I think it was his sister who died in a plane crash or something. But anyway, so I just find that whole thing fascinating. Um, how, how, you know, we were so we were, you know, that's where the British royal family came from. They changed their name um, from, I forget what it was, but to Windsor, which is a really English sounding name. They said the only way we're going to get the British public on board is by, by, by calling them Windsor and making them sound really English um, when they were really German. You know, Queen Victoria was German. Um, and, and so I just find that fascinating, you know, and again, I want to use that to, you know, Jack Steele's the hero in my books. I want to use that kind of maybe the royal family, the Nazi thing, just to sort of highlight history and how things just change and and how easy it is for things to change. I mean, I got not to get too political, but you know, when I when I I, I was watching another documentary about how the how the Nazi party stormed, or they didn't know someone stormed the Reichstag in Germany in, I think it was like you know just before the second world war i guess that's maybe what set off i, I forget when it was his 30s 40s but they literally burned down the reichstag with you know the german parliament and and then the nazi party just said you know it was the other side and they just kept saying it was the other side and that's how the nazi party themselves sort of came to power because everyone was thinking oh the other side burned down the parliament and so i was thinking that because of you know january 6 and and the and the insurrection all that stuff and it's just like, oh my God, how easily things can turn on a dime. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, digress. Yeah, that's absolutely but true. So, so I got to give a shout out to Richard in regards to his ability to put these books together. And I want you as the listener to reflect on this. Um, as someone that was uh, part of this UN team that could cross the borders, as a former tank commander, you're there is no substitute for that experience when it comes to shedding light on the intricacies of those sorts of situations. Mm -hmm. um, and so Shelly Wanders in chat writes, adding these books to my reading list. Yes, good yeah, stuff, you. good stuff. Um, and so what's fascinating to me is you've managed to string all of these different lifetimes into one lifetime. Um, so being an actor is typically something that folks just, they do that or they're a military person, um, or they're sort of a journalist producer. Um, but you're all three. Um, and that's one of the things I find most fascinating about you. So I want to take a little bit of a pivot and talk about, um, the scene that you recently filmed for the show starring Queen Latifah, the equalizer oh, yeah. on CBS um wherein you were sitting on a park bench with chris north do i remember his north, name correctly it's north yep north, north. yep north, north. um n-o-t-h oh no yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah apologies north. um north. who played mr big in sex in the yeah. city yeah 
Um, and uh, I've been mentioning this to some women in my life and they're like, oh, I know Mr. Big. <laughs> oh and God. so tell me that story. All right. So you, it's, a, it's a quick scene. It's about a couple minutes. Yeah, well, it's you and, and Mr. Big. But tell me how so, everything that went into that. Well, I think I think everyone should. Okay, so what specifically why it's so interesting in a way is because when I arrived in this country twenty years ago, I walked into a bar and I saw my wife who had like permed hair that day, and I and I my first line to her was I didn't know her from Adam. I just went up to her in a bar on Market Street in Philadelphia. I live in Philadelphia, and I said to her, "You look like that girl from Sex in the City," and she said, "That's my favorite show." And I like I would say, 20 years and two boys later, here we are. And so <laughs> as an actor, a year after that, I was she was literally reading Sarah Jessica Parker's lines for an audition. I didn't I never got a part in the show, Sex and the City. But anyway, so skip forward now 20 years, still still in the acting game. I'm what they call a jobbing actor. We call it in England. I don't know whether what you got. You guys probably say a working actor, which means that you're not famous. You can't really make a living out of acting, but you know, you're you're in the game and you throw your hat in the game and you audition. And just just as a point of interest, people always ask me, well, how many, you know, people will say, how'd you get that? <laughs> and I want to say, well, I have I've been driving up and down to New York, you know, a two hour trip for a two minute audition for 20 years. That's how I got that. But that sounds a bit kind of snarky. But basically you 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 keep auditioning. Right. And so so pandemic has been interesting because suddenly, you know, no auditions, no casting directors in, in the casting director's office. So now you get this thing called a self tape, which is where they send you a scene and you put yourself on tape. And I've got my acting studio down the road where I go and, and I, and, and, and my acting coach will, cause I still do, you know, classes. Um, he'll, he'll read, he'll be the reader. And so anyway, so, so great, you know, great opportunity, the equalizer, British guy, spy, ex spy. Um, and you know, lo and behold, um, you know, I book, I book the role from the self tape and, um, and then lo and behold, it's with Chris North, which is so cool. So we had a, like a zoom rehearsal with all the, all the, cast of that one episode and and queen latifah sitting there like in a dressing room you know and we, and we read through the whole episode basically just just you know just for the director really anyway so then so then we have like the snowstorm start i mean i think there are like if people remember there were literally in new jersey pennsylvania like two or three big snowstorms you know um like march april and so um you know nice little scene um and I had to, yeah, I had to go and have a COVID test just in order to go back the next day and have a costume fitting. You know, it was that crazy because they, the, the, their base was in Meadowlands, just outside New York City. So you drive up there, COVID test, back. Yep, COVID test. Okay, back the next day for the costume fitting, back home. And then on the Friday, because they they took the day off, uh, they took the weekend off. I had to go on the Friday for the Monday shoot. So I went on the Friday, and then the snowstorm came in. <laughs> And they they forecast us. They said, "Sorry, we're going to have to postpone." And then, so this went. This would happen, I think, twice more. I had like six COVID tests in the end before I literally got to the set of the Equalizer. So finally, um, we did. We were able to shoot, and and I go up to New Jersey. And even though it's 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 on a, in a scene, uh, it, the scene is in Washington D.C. Uh, on a park bench we shot it in on a park bench in hoboken new jersey um because with a green screen behind because they had a you know that's where they that's where they shoot in new york um anyway so so we get i get to the set you know i'm in my cap looking very english 
and um and it's just you know me chris north and the director you have a you always have a rehearsal and then you go back and get your makeup and costume and, and then you come back again sort of thing but anyway so it starts starts to snow and the whole point was that we 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 you know postponed this shoot twice because um because of the snow the snowstorms <laughs> so it wasn't too bad a little bit of snow but by the time i've gone back got changed into wardrobe and then had makeup came back again it's like an hour and a half later and now it's really coming down and i'm sitting there with a newspaper and the first line chris north says is i didn't know people still read newspapers and and so my newspaper's getting wet i'm supposed to be smoke, smoking as a cigar because at the end he says you know those things could kill you and and i say yeah and so so's you know hanging out with you or something i forget the exact line but anyway so so there we are we're, we're shooting you know all the cameras and they, they, they always take like you know three big cameras and they take it from every angle and the the newspaper's getting wet and the art department is sort of you know bringing me more newspapers and they've only got like three newspapers but each time it's getting soaked because it's pouring with snow and there someone's holding an umbrella over it, try not to get the newspaper wet then my cigar gets all wet and i'm supposed to light it at the end and then it's kind of all soggy and again because they've only they've got two or three cigars but they haven't got more than that and it was just getting damper and damper and then chris north says well shall we shall we um shall we um uh let's change line you know i i didn't i didn't know i didn't know people still read newspapers in the snow or something so it was getting to that stage it was the snow was so bad that you know, they were starting to change the script um but basically you know it was a fantastic experience it was you know a few hours about 20 takes probably because they do you know close medium uh, close medium far you know on all angles each side his close up my close up but just to be sitting there with someone like them who's way more you know sort of experienced and famous than i am and just looking him right in the eye and and you know allowing allowing all the acting stuff that i've learned over the years um to to sort of you know ferment and work um and and and, and i was sort of i remember sitting there and i'm, I'm looking out uh, uh, sort of just sort of pondering you know before i say something next and and I thought, well, you know, I'm going to I'm going to not milk it, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to even though it's TV and TV is supposed to be bam, 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 bam. I just thought, you know, I'll milk it a bit. And and then the director sort of came up to me, say, hey, just just, you know, just just pick up the pace a bit, which is mm -hmm. what directors say when they mean, you know, get on with it. <laughs> and and so and I thought, OK, no, I said, no problem, no problem. Uh, and so we did another take and I, I picked it up a bit. Um, this was this was rehearsal before we shot. And then, and then I saw, and I saw Chris North walk over to the director after he said, and he said something, and I, and I had, I knew he, I knew it was about me because he was like very, you know, he's like whispering to him, and that's he was being polite not to right. hear that the actor hear that he was not to let me hear that he was saying, and what he said was, it's okay, it was fine the way you know th that was good what he was doing. So the director then came back to me and said, "Oh no, just just do what you were doing before." Uh, so who's um, really directing? Right, right. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. It was just you know just one of those little you know actors perhaps appreciate it more than other people, but the minutiae that goes into those scenes that you that we all watch and we you know one of the reasons I became an actor is because I just I just love watching TV and I love movies and. And just the minutiae of, of what goes into those scenes is just extraordinary. And, and I've been doing this 20 years and it just, ne when I'm on a film set, it just never fails to amaze me the amount of detail that goes in. Oh, another, another fun thing was the fact that, so the snow was piling up on my cap, on my peaked cap. And 
And then, but on film, snow is really hard to actually see. Like, like, like when you watch a soccer match on TV, you, you sometimes can't tell it's raining. It's just really hard to pick up snow and rain. Mm-hmm. And so in the final version, which I think you posted, you, they literally had to CGI, you know, snow. Because otherwise, because there was so much snow on my shoulders, on my cap, that if they hadn't have put the snow in, it would have looked weird. And then even Chris North, the, the pro that he is, I was I when we were when we did it, he was kind of looking up like this. And I thought, what's 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 he doing? You know, where, where's he looking? Sort of thing. And he's sitting right next to me, but he's kind of going, Yeah, you know, like this. And of course, because in the final thing, it's perfection because he's looking up at the snow and he's admiring mm. the snow as he talks. And you know, I, I just thought, oh my god, when I saw the real thing, the the final thing, I just thought, what a pro. You know, he knew exactly what he was doing. He was just taking the snow in like that. And you know, but all those little things most people would never even think about but for me you know you get you get for me i get you know three or four tv gigs a year if i'm lucky you do about yeah i i maybe do about 30 auditions and get you know two or three or four shows a year i mean apart from industrial videos and voiceovers but anyway so so yeah that was the uh that was the equalizer story it was it was fun so good i mean it's a cbs yeah. backed show yeah. i mean that is not some small yeah. thing that's right. huge yeah and to be acting alongside mr big is right. just a, what a great story yeah. and it's such a good reminder to me that everything around us is an idea someone else's idea the desk mm-hmm. the the mic the cup the this ever these are all ideas takes the multiple camera angles the snow the after the you know is just um it helps me appreciate what's around me uh, because people are putting some serious effort into it. And uh, I watched that scene twice and I love it. It's a fun scene. Yeah, it really is. Um, and, and hopefully they'll, you know, they, I'll, I'll be the British fan. They invite me back again. That's my, that's what I'm praying for. Like what I, what they call a recurring. You know? Oh yeah. Let's you get you back on the show. Come back and ask the British guy again. Maybe I know that's, that's, you know, that's my way. That's my little dream. Well, my wish too is for them to make you a, a legit <laughs> part of that show um, and that the show be a success. Um, it's doing well. It is doing well. I mean, and, and, and it's funny because a lot of people I've spoken to, who I, I wouldn't think even watch that much TV, certainly not, you know, the equalizer. They, they're really loving it. So I'm, I'm just pleased for them because, because when you, when you see how much work goes in, I mean, they literally had to shut the production down for one week because they thought someone had COVID. And like, can you imagine like the, 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 the pressure and the money and, and literally just shut down the show for a week shooting? I mean, and that's why if people if people have watched it, they'll notice that there were some gaps between episodes one and two and three and four. Because the, and then, of course, the person didn't have COVID after all. You know, they, they, they waited the two days or whatever. But anyway, it's just mind boggling. And that's why they call it showbiz, because it really is, you know, a business. And, you know, as an actor, you're just one tiny little cog in the, in the, in the, in the show kind of thing, in the machinery. The, the skill set, though, because if you're a director, you need to know that this person is going to show up, that they are going to not be strung out on some sort of drug and non-functional that day, because yeah. a lot of people struggle with those sort of things. They're going to be a pro. They're going to have their lines, this, that, and the other way. Um, so incredible. And you've paid your dues. And so what a cool feather in your cap. Um, yeah, it helps. All helps. Yeah, very cool. Um, want to make sure you get a chance to promote um, your new book, Hyde Park Deception. Um, I want to let everyone know 
um, that there is a discounted pre-order price. Um, we're looking at September 1st for the uh, release of the book. Um, where can they get the $2.99 yeah. pre-order? So, so it's only on Amazon at the moment, $2.99. Um, you know, normally, normally Kindles are four ninety nine, and then the paperback sixteen ninety nine. But yeah, for the, until we publish, until we release, I decided that we. Well, I didn't decide. I mean, people, this is what people do. But so it's only two ninety nine on Amazon.com. Um, you know, on your Kindle, if you pre order it now, it means you you won't have to pay. You know, you don't pay the four, and then you get it. You get it on September first. Um, you know, when we when we release it, basically, and it's Hyde Park Deception, and it's book two in the Deception series, and. Um, Basically, you know, book one was about, for those of you who, who haven't seen me before, book one is about a, a journalist who um, goes to the Russian Far East to Vladivostok on, on, uh, in search of U two UN inspectors and becomes embroiled in a, in a top secret conspiracy, Western conspiracy to blow up a North Korean nuclear reactor. That was book one. And then Jack Steele now, we go back eight years and, you know, based on some of the things we've been talking about, he um, he's on Queen's Lifeguard, which is Trooping the Color. If people have seen that, been to London, the the breastplates and the horses. So he's literally a household cavalry captain and he's he's going off to Queen's Lifeguard. And then he suddenly sees his estranged brother um, who is a journalist and he thought his brother was in Bosnia. And but his brother is standing right next to the daughter of the Bosnian Serb leader. Radovan, um, his real name is Radovan Karadzic, but in my book, he's Kosta Radovanovic. Um, and, <laughs> and so he's like, what the, what the F is the, was my brother doing standing in Hyde Park with that girl. Anyway, so something terrible happens to his brother later that day. And then he's, then Jack Steele, the hero is, is swept off to Bosnia to infiltrate the, the Bosnian Serb stronghold of Parley and, and, and find the, the, the Sarajevo protocol which, which if, if they don't find it, it may lead to, you know, the war in Bosnia going global. And there are a lot of books about the Vietnam War, World War II, World War One. We don't hear much about Bosnia, uh, right. at least I don't. Right. And uh, I would disagree with that editor who said, ah, nobody cares about that because these things have echoes, right? 20, 25, 30 year echoes. Um, and I and I hope and pray that that your bringing this to the fore um, gets people to remember that. And there's just no better avatar for that experience than you, having had that ability to cross the lines, having literally your film be in a museum at this point. And then it's so interesting all the through lines of your life because all of not all of but many of the roles you play. Jack Ryan, you were featured. You, you had a role in Jack, Jack Ryan. Ryan yeah. Yeah, the equalizer. Um, it's it's this sort of military CIA exactly. international man of mystery yeah. and dreams. That I just I just watched Mayor of Easttown, which was shot not too far from my home in Philadelphia, and and I was like, why can't I? I mean, I did audition for it with Kate Winslet, um, and you know she's doing the Philly accent, the Del the Delco accent, not just the Philly accent. The, sorry, Delco accent. Um, and I did order. For, I did audition for Doctor, but I'm like, why can't I get a part in this show? And I'm like, nah, not really my type. <laughs> the, the English spy is right up my alley, or the Russian. I do audition in Russian and and, and French as well, actually. Yeah. So Shelley Wanders writes in chat. Bosnia is an extremely unique country. I think it's an extremely underrated oh, area. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely spot on there. Uh, is it? So I can't see. Is it Shelley? Chile, Chile. Yeah, I mean, it is for anyone. If you want to go to Croatia, the, the, the Dalmatian coast is just absolutely exquisite. 
It's beautiful. There are islands there. The 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 Bosnia itself, because that's Croatia. But if you just then go across to into Bosnia, beautiful, beautiful. Country. I mean, if you go there, they will treat you like a king because you know they 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 because not many people sort of think of going there. But it's it is a beautiful country, and that's why they had the uh, you know the Sarajevo Winter Olympics there. I mean, that was a ski resort town, Sarajevo. You know, so surrounded by mountains. So so mm. so the book Hyde Park Deception. You know. If you want to find a bit, a little bit about Bosnia, you know, we you'll definitely find a little bit more out about about Bosnia um, with Hyde Park deception. Yes, sir. People of the world, you know the drill. Marketing as a foreign language every Monday through Friday, ten thirty a.m. Pacific Standard Time, live YouTube.com forward slash Send It Rising. Also streaming live on the Send It Rising Facebook page. After the fact, you can watch us on the YouTube channel and or iTunes, Spotify, and 10 other podcast platforms. This is the third time that we have had the pleasure of speaking with the one and the only Richard Linton. It's always a pleasure. I want to make sure that you get the final word for the fine folks. Go ahead, Richard. The final word would be, uh, I think I said this last one, but you know, um, om, peace, amen. (laughs) Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.